0: Hi, my name is Evan,
1: and I use he, him pronouns. And my name is Ian, and I use they, them pronouns. And we are the The Baker Street Street Regulars, Regulars. a podcast where we are taking a queer magnifying glass to the Sherlock Holmes canon and its many adaptations.
0: So we're about a month into our exploration of the Sherlock Holmes stories, Mm -hmm. a little over maybe.
1: How are you feeling about Sherlock Holmes? You know, I think he is a complicated character to adapt, and I don't think anybody has gotten it perfect yet. I think Nigel has gotten it pretty good so far, but I'm not sure if, especially to, uh, based on our ratings in our main episodes, if anybody has able to capture the... Je ne sais quoi, if you will, of Arthur Conan Doyle's stories.
0: Yes. I certainly will be curious to see where we go after this episode in terms of how other actors interpret mm-hmm. the famous detective duo. Right.
1: I didn't even think to talk about Nigel Bruce, because I, you know.
0: Well, I, I mean, I think
1: what there is to say is that we're both excited to see a more competent Watson. Yes. I'm excited to see a more competent Watson. I do wish we get more of Rathbone's Sherlock Holmes, because I find him really fun and endearing. Yeah. I just wish he had a better Watson.
0: Yeah. The good news is there are so many of those movies, so if we miss him later in the season, we can always dive back in. Yay! And reconnect. Thank God. Thank God. How are you feeling? I'm having a good time. Mm Mm-hmm. I like a mystery I like the camp that we've seen mm-hmm. I like that the Nigel Bruce basil Rathbone Holmes movies don't take themselves too seriously
2: mm-hmm.
0: even with the voice of terror which has this like patriotic duty thing going on behind it there's st- it's still goofy you know there's still like a cartoonishness to everything mm-hmm. and I hope that we keep seeing a degree of of fun, of whimsy, of, of understanding that this isn't the real world, that this is a more whimsical interpretation of London. I don't know if that's what Arthur Conan Doyle was attempting, but I certainly think that's how his stories read to a modern audience.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fair. I think I don't know if concern is the correct word. I have that deep feeling that we are going to see some attempts at doing like a very serious sherlock
0: yeah i i'll also be curious because i think that like in american filmmaking after the dark knight like every film had to do this like grimdark thing where like everything was gray and there was no color and mm-hmm. everyone had to have these tragic awful backstories uh, i don't know if i don't think sherlock holmes fell victim to that but we'll certainly see
1: yeah we'll definitely see yeah. i mean I, everybody fell victim to that so i I, I'm, I would not. I would not be surprised if good old Sherlock might have some parent issues yeah. <laughs> later down the line. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this episode, we're looking at two more of Arthur Conan Doyle's short stories. Mm-hmm. The first of those is The Red Headed Lee, which I read, and the mm-hmm. second one is The Devil's Foot, which you read.
1: Yes. Should
0: I dive right in? Go for it. Right.
1: Give me some fast facts.
0: So there's not so much to say about the Red-Headed League, except that it's set in 1890. It was published in 1891 in the Strand magazine. And then when the first collection of Sherlock Holmes stories was published mm-hmm. in 1892, it was the second story sequentially mm. in that publication after okay. Scandal in Bohemia. Gotcha. So it's pretty early in the uh, Holmes chronology. But it's a little bit later in the Holmes Canon because uh, Watson and Sherlock aren't living together anymore. Watson has established a private practice as a doctor
1: and has a wife correct
0: doesn't He isn't married yet. Oh, okay it doesn't come up if he is. but the story begins with him stopping by to visit Sh- Sherlock Holmes. just like scandal just like scandal, and he's in the middle of seeing a client mm-hmm. And just like Scandal, Watson's like, oh, I should leave. And he's like, nope.
1: Nope, you're in. <laughs> you're, in. you're in. You're doing this.
0: You're doing this. This is yours. Come have an adventure with me again. So, Sherlock's client, he introduces to Watson as Mr. Jabez Wilson. Hmm. And he asks Jabez to start at the top of his story because... The details of the case are so extraordinary and so bizarre that not only does he want Watson to hear them, but he also wants to hear them again. And Sherlock says, As a rule, when I have heard some slight indication of the course of events, I am able to guide myself by the thousands of other similar cases which occur to my memory. In the present instance, I am forced to admit that the facts are, to the best of my belief, unique. So this is a case unlike anything Sherlock has ever seen. Before Mr. Wilson starts talking... Watson tries to deduce him mm. I feel like we haven't got this in any adaptations yet maybe because it's the Nigel Bruce stock character <laughs> that we're getting but there's a lot of examples in the books of Watson trying to use Sherlock's methods and coming up short but trying nonetheless and he tries to like suss out from Mr. Wilson's appearance or what it is for a living or any relevant details and Sherlock like notices him doing this and is like, oh, don't bother. I've only, I've only got a couple things, which is that he's pervasive and that he's recently <laughs> in China and that he takes snuff regularly. And, you know, <laughs> he's like, don't do all that. <laughs> don't do all that. Don't do this. I got it. So, Mr. Wilson shows an advertisement in the paper, which began this caper. I like the rhyming there. Thank you. Oh, which I'll read to you. It says, to the redheaded League, on account of the bequest of the late Ezekiel Hopkins of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, USA... Back
1: in the USA. Back in the USA, baby. Back in the US, back in the USA. Instead of. Because it's like the Beatles song. (laughs) Right. But uh,
0: unlike Study in Scarlet, there's no lengthy backstory. We never go to Pennsylvania in this story. Thank God.
1: Everything takes place in in a few blocks in London. Are there Mormons? There are no Mormons. Okay. We only have one on the Mormon count so far. I hope you all are keeping count at home.
0: It continues. There is now another vacancy open which entitles a member of the League to a salary of £4 a week for purely nominal services. All red-headed men who are sound in body and mind and above the age of 21 years are eligible. Apply in person on Monday at 11 o'clock to Duncan Ross at the offices of the League, 7 Pope's Court, Fleet Street. So, first of all, odd that there's a red-headed League at all. (laughs) Odd that you can get paid £4 a week just for being red-haired. I used to have red hair as a child, I mm-hmm. wish I'd known about this. Uh, also, uh, it, the fact that it's on Fleet Street, which is uh, perhaps more famous for a different bit of English writing. Swing your razor high, sweetie. So uh, one imagines that the events of Sweeney Todd are happening near blocks away from the offices of the
1: Red-Headed League. Now, or, or less than a block now on here, the same street. Now, here's what I'm thinking of. And this just made me think of this. Do you think we'll ever get stories of Sherlock solving, like, famous, like, other stories like Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett or Jack the Ripper
0: or any of them? Well, there are certainly a lot of attempts to put Sherlock Holmes against Jack the Ripper. We should find one of those to cover because I think there's a bunch of examples of that trope. I wonder if anyone's done the same with Sweeney Todd. I think the original Sweeney Todd story must be in the public domain. Oh, must be. So We should look for it. We should look for it. Stay tuned. So, here's the reaction that Holmes has to this newspaper uh, advertisement. Holmes chuckled and wriggled in his chair, as was his habit when in high spirits. I cannot picture Basil Rathbone wriggling in his chair. Oh, I can.
1: I I can. can. Oh, my God, yeah. Basil is so camp in that role. (laughs) Like, remember when Nigel Bruce was like... thank God you didn't bring your blasted violin. And then Nigel Bush was like, actually, (laughs) and just pulled it out.
0: Yeah, but there's a serene sardonicness to that. I can't imagine him getting hyper and excited about a case like this quite the same way.
1: I think he only gets hyper and excited when we're talking about the Nazis. Anyway, Mr. Wilson explains that
0: the assistant who he recently hired to help him run his pawn shop at half wages brought the article to his attention and accompanied him down to... The offices where they were seeing potential applicants for the commission, so are they just looking for Irish people then? I don't know. that's interesting. They're very specific about tone of hair and it must be like like really bright red, mm-hmm. and obviously not a wig or painted on or, dyed right. or whatever. I don't think that Arthur Conan Doyle is doing some sort of Irish trope. I don't does Jabez Wilson strike you as an Irish name? No, not really. Maybe the stereotype of Irish people as being red-haired didn't exist in Victorian England. Maybe not. That that could be it. So there's crowds of red-haired men of all tone and color all around Fleet Street. But Jabez uh, and his assistant get all the way to the top
1: of the stairs in the office. The top of the stairs. You know what else is at the top of the stairs? The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. I've seen the show. <laughs> yeah, just, I've seen the movie. Just one door down,
0: and it's just a very simple office with a table and chair. The man, Duncan Ross, approves of Jabez's hair color hmm. and dismisses all the other applicants. He was just looking for one. He's Just looking for one. Huh? There's a there's a vacancy, and he's looking to fill it. Oh. And he says, "There, you know, there is some work that you are required to do." As a member of the Redhead League To entitle you to the compensation hmm. Which is just, you know, four hours a day From ten to two In the office, and you have to do it all in the office You can't do it anywhere else But it's it's nominal, it's not, you know, not hard work Just, you know, it's part of the Requirements of the stipend And his assistant Vincent Spaulding Offers to run the pawn store While he's doing this Oh, that's nice The... The job that he ends up doing for the Red-Headed League is to come to this office every day from 10 to 2 and copy out the Encyclopedia Britannica, starting at the beginning with A. Hmm. He used to pay for his own paper and ink, but it's provided with the table, and Duncan checks in on him and to make sure he doesn't leave, and then at the end of that week he gets his four pounds, and at the end of the next week he gets his four pounds, and eight weeks go by like this. Okay. At the conclusion of the eight weeks, he goes to the offices of the Red-Headed League for his work that he does with them. And there's a note on the door which reads, The Red-Headed League is dissolved October 9th, 1890. Okay. And this is why he has brought the case to Sherlock Holmes. He wants to know what is going on. Was the applied plan- plan on him... How how can he get his four pounds a
1: week bag? What's going on? Sting. So it's not like a regular case of like murder or like possible murder or... Yeah. This is just, where's my money? Where's my money? And and in fact, no one dies in this story.
0: That's nice. And when I got through this part, I was like, oh, this is like, this is something we haven't really seen yet, which is just like Sherlock solving some sort of like small petty crime. (laughs) Some little weird thing that's happening somewhere in London. (laughs) And you'll see it doesn't quite stay that way. Oh, no. But what's hilarious is that when Jabez Wilson very solemnly presents them the piece of cardboard that declares that the Red-Headed League has been dissolved, Sherlock and Watson both burst out laughing at him.
1: Aww. Because they find the idea
0: of the announcement so funny, I suppose.
1: Yeah. that That is, that, that is pretty funny. But I'd also be mad, too, if I was doing, like, eight weeks of work, and then I'd come and be like... Oh, by the way, this job, or, like, this company that you were working for doesn't exist anymore. Right. You can. Bye. He didn't even get to the B
0: section of the encyclopedia. He just finished the A's, apparently. How much did they want him to do? Just the A's, or? They wanted him to copy the whole thing, supposedly. In eight weeks? Well, I think the assumption was that it would not be
1: just an eight-week term. Hmm. And that he would have time to copy the whole thing. Oh, so like at the end of eight weeks, he went to be like, okay, can I continue? Well, not even. He just showed up for work at the normal time, and mm.
0: then there was an announcement on, posted
1: to the door, Oh, and then
0: okay. the landowner was like, oh, I haven't heard of it. it any Duncan Ross. There was a, a guy here called William Morris, which is sort of funny, because that's <laughs> also the name of a talent agency and a wallpaper manufacturer. Right. So it's funny that the name shows up here just coincidentally. That is funny, and so neither person exists. The four are to get dressed. That the, the left with the building leads to a factory where they make artificial kneecaps. And Sherlock says, "All oh, that's very interesting. I today is Saturday. I can give you, I can detective this out and let you know on Monday." Holmes says to Watson, "As a rule, the more bizarre a thing is, the less mysterious it proves to be. It is your commonplace, featureless crimes which are really puzzling." So we're getting a repeat of this idea from Study in Scarlet that cases that are bizarre are easier to solve than cases that are ordinary because the things that make them unordinary help you figure out what's going on.
1: But I would assume by this point that what is bizarre to him is like all these murders. And then like something like this would be like, Oh. This is this this is weird. This feels like this would be harder to solve. I'm so used to doing murders. You want me to solve, like, why aren't you getting paid? Yeah. Do you have any theories about the crime so far? He probably just got scammed, honestly. What's the scam? Because he got paid. Oh, he did get paid. Yeah. Well, you did, like, kind of hint that it's a little more gruesome. I didn't say gruesome. Or a little more. I just uh, said grander. Grander? Yeah. So I'm just going to go with planning to kill the queen. Fantastic. Why not? Why does James Wilson have anything to do with the Queen? <laughs> Who knows? If you said grander. Let's go Let's go to the tippy-top the Queen. All, that's all the way grand.
0: So Watson is similarly confused. Holmes decides to smoke about it. He says, this is a three-pipe problem, and I beg that you won't speak to me for 50 minutes. <laughs> 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 uh, and at the conclusion of that time, he invites Watson to go hear some music with him. So... On the way to listen to music, they stop by the neighborhood where Jabez Wilson's pawn shop is. And Holmes knocks at the door of the pawn shop, and the assistant enters, And Holmes asks for directions, which he receives. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'd forgotten about the assistant. Maybe the assistant has something to do with this, too. Well, there's a clue, which I've neglected, which is that when Jabez Wilson describes the assistant, Holmes goes, oh, of course. Of course. And does he have an earring? Ah, uh, of course he does. <laughs> you know. So, oh, how's he described, then? He's described as uh, having a, an acid splash in his face.
1: Hmm. Yes. Maybe some, like, extortion, or, like, maybe, like, faking money. Maybe still involving the queen. I don't know. We're going grand here. Mm-hmm. But he has an earring, and you know what that means. <laughs> Pirate.
0: Leaving the pawnbroker shop, Holmes says to Watson, Smart fellow that... He is, in my judgment, the fourth smartest man in London. And for daring, I am not sure that he has not a claim to be third. I have known something of him before. Oh. So that's our guy. We just don't know why. And Holmes reveals that he didn't want to see the assistant, but he wanted to see the knees of his trousers. And Holmes says, what did you see? He says, what I expected to see. Well, it's
1: because he has an earring. What are you implying? (laughs) Pirate he's a pirate and he's trying to kill the queen he's a pirate and he's trying to kill the queen and everybody knows that pirates who try to kill the queen have bad knees <laughs> this is widely known no, he's gay of course he's gay, everyone's gay everyone's gay, it's a Sherlock Holmes story Sherlock and Watson
0: go around the block to the businesses that butt up against the pawn shop on the back, mm-hmm. and Sherlock lists them off for us Mrs. Lovett's Meat Pies <laughs> no, the, no, Flatoon is where the red League was it's not, oh, where, sorry. not where the shops are Here's the businesses. Uh, Mortimer's the Tobacconist, the Little Newspaper Shop, the Coburg Branch of the City and Suburban Bank, the Vegetarian Restaurant, and McFarlane's Carriage Building Depot. I'm going to guess it has something to do with the newspaper. Good guess. I, I can either confirm or deny. I also didn't know there were vegetarian restaurants in the Victorian era. You know, some people just didn't
1: want to eat meat, even back then.
0: So, Sherlock says, A considerable crime is in contemplation. Mm. I have every reason to believe we shall be in time to stop it, but today being Saturday rather complicates matters. I shall want your help tonight.
1: Then it has to be the bank. It has to be the bank. Why the bank? Because banks, uh, historically, have not been open late night, and especially on weekends. Mm -hmm. Well reasoned. Mm -hmm. You're one step ahead of Watson, who is desperately confused. I've seen Mary Poppins. I know how banks work.
0: (laughs) Especially British banks. Right. Sherlock tells Watson to bring his revolver, and then leaves him, and Watson's like, how... How could we know all the same facts and Sherlock know that there's some considerable crime while while I'm still completely in the dark? When Watson arrives at Baker Street, there are two handsome carriages that are pulled up in front and two men who are already in Baker Street waiting to set out, along with Sherlock Holmes. One of them is Peter Jones of Scotland Yard, Hmm. a detective we've never heard of before. And I'm sure we'll never hear of again. (laughs) No, probably not. Not Lestrade. Um... Nobody's Lestrade but Lestrade. The other is Mr. Merriweather, who Sherlock does not identify hmm. immediately. Sherlock identifies the quarry as uh, John Clay, the murderer, thief, smasher, and forger. He says he is at the head of his profession, and I would rather have my brackets on him than on any criminal in London. His grandfather was a royal duke, and he himself has been to Eton and Oxford. His brain is as cunning as his fingers, and though we meet signs of him at every turn, we never know where to find the man himself. This is so Moriarty. Yeah. <laughs> this is so Moriarty that, like, this little case which started off being, like, a, a guy who got involved in the world's weirdest scam is suddenly, like, one of the smartest men in England a a <laughs> <their> criminal <laughs> who we've been unable to track down. Right. So... This is an interesting heightening of stakes. I I still sort of want to read a story that's just like a a little thing happens and Sherlock
1: figures it out. That'd be cute. Yeah, there are stories like that. What about Sherlock finds a lost puppy? Give me that. Can't we have one day where Sherlock does this, like, a cute little thing? Sherlock can't find milk at the grocery store. Let's do that. (laughs) Can't solve where the the milk is? He can't solve where the milk aisle is. I deduce
0: from the sign that says milk. The milk should be in this aisle. I deduce from the milk drippings on the floor. (laughs) But I find only frozen pizzas. All I can find is Tostino's pizza rolls. (laughs) My dear Watson, the game is on. Search every aisle. (laughs) So they ride over to the bank. I knew it. Mr. Meriwether works for the bank. They go down into the vault, and Sherlock describes that he thinks the target is the French gold. Mr. Merriweather explains that they recently got a large amount of French gold, and there's a little bit too much public information about the fact that it's just sitting in their vault. But, he says, it's perfectly protected from above and below taps his cane on the flagstone. He says, oh, no, it's, it feels. It actually sounds hollow. You see where this is going? Mm-hmm. They wait for about an hour, and then one of the flagstones pops up. Mr. John Clay pops out. Sherlock grabs him. <laughs> the other guy runs away, but is caught by police detectives waiting at, the, at Jabez's house, mm. which is where the tunnel lets out. And we get this delusion of grandeur thing from John Clay. He says... You may not be aware that I have royal blood in my veins. Have the goodness also when you address me always to say, sir, and please. All right, said Jones, with a stare and a snigger. Well, would you please, sir, march upstairs, or we can get a cab to carry your highness to the police station? I love highness. Yeah. This is a fun detail. I mean, David mentioned that he thought that what made the Conan Doyle story so great is the characters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no reason that John Clay has to be anything other than a snarling villain. It's fun that he has this, like, delusion of grandeur, touch of... Something going on. Yeah, they, they're more interesting. So then we cut to the morning of. The, so Holmes and Watson have stayed up all night. Mm-hmm. They're uh, drinking back at Baker Street. Uh, and Sherlock explains the deductions, which is effectively that the red-headed thief was a ruse to get Jabez out of the house mm. so that John Clay could dig this tunnel from under the house to under the bank and steal the gold. And John Clay was the assistant? Was the assistant, Got yes, it. using a false name. And that he reasoned it out because he guessed immediately that the Redhead League was just an excuse to get Jabez out of the house. But because there are no women in the house, aside from a, like a serving girl who's underage, he figured that it wasn't probably a romantic dalliance, but it was something larger. Mm-hmm. And he had heard earlier that the assistant was doing like photography development in the basement and would spend hours there before all of this happened so he guessed that was part of it as well gotcha and reasoned out that it was the bank because he'd heard about the gold and when he first arrived at the house and checked the jeans he also tapped the flagstones in front of the house and because those were not hollow he reasoned that the tunnel went behind the house and not out in front of it Sherlock Holmes Sherlock Holmes. He sure knows how to solve them. He sure knows how to solve them. Watson says, you reasoned it out beautifully. And he says, it saved me from ennui, he answered, yawning. Alas, I already feel it closing in upon me. My life is spent in one long effort to escape from the commonplaces of existence. These little problems help me to do so. Such a drama queen. Such a drama queen. They're both drama queens. They're perfect for each other. <laughs> they are. Although Watson isn't too much of a drama queen in this particular story. And that's basically the end of the story. Have fun. Have fun. Uh, The one thing, the one detail that I think rankles at me is that the assistant, who turns out to be John Clay, has this scheme of keeping Jabez out of the house. And obviously the tunnel is complete, which is why he doesn't need him to go away anymore. But it seems to me that he could have avoided a lot of trouble by paying him one more day right? doing the heist and then getting out of town and then having there, there be no redheaded league, <laughs> but by just not having a person be there or having the encyclopedia be there or paying him anymore, right. you know, he would never have been caught if he had just waited <laughs> to end the redheaded league. He'd done this to himself. He did this to himself. And, he, and he's supposed to be the fourth smartest man in London and third most daring. So I think not. I think not. <laughs> So it, it is sort of a goofy story. I mean, I, I told you it was something grander than than just a odd scam gone wrong. Mm-hmm. It's it's an attempt to steal three hundred thousand pounds of French cold. I mean, that's a typical
1: Tuesday night. I mean. <laughs> story is weird i have the adventure of the devil's foot yes so a little backstory first published in the strand magazine at the tail end of 1910 so we're in the 1900s now and then it was also first published in the united states in the u.s edition of the strand in january and february of 1911 later in 1917 It was included in the short story collection, His Last Bow. So, right after, like, Sherlock's death, quotation marks, if that makes sense. It's part of of his return? Not so much part of his return, but, like, it is an additional story after. Does it take place chronologically after the empty house? So, here's the thing. We don't actually get a date for this story. Oh, interesting. So, it could be after he's resurrected, or it could be before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This story actually begins because Watson is uh, talking about how, like, Sherlock really doesn't like that he's publishing these stories. Holmes is like, I'd rather remain anonymous and, like, let the police feel good about themselves for a measly moment. Oh, you,
0: sort of, you've made me into
1: a public figure against my will.
0: A, a little bit of that. There's a reference to this in The Red-Headed League as well, where he sort of chides Watson for embellishing his
1: stories when he publishes them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think at this point, Sherlock's just like, why? <laughs> why are we doing this? <laughs> I don't want this, but you're doing it anyway. I feel like that's very much Arthur Conan Doyle projecting again. Just oh. like, why do you have to write these stories, exactly? Who wants this? Well, the thing about this story, though, is that Holmes sent a telegram to Watson and was like, hey, publish this story. Because this was a weird case. <laughs> so we both have w- weird cases that, that Holmes even admits. It's like, this is weird, mm-hmm. even for me. And the story actually begins with Holmes not feeling all too well. You know, all this time of, you know, solving crimes and probably doing a lot of drugs, but mostly solving crimes, has made him a little, you know, more tired, more sick and such. So his doctor... Who is not Watson? I know right? <laughs> he has a different doctor. doesn't like to mix business and pleasure, I suppose. Nope, not at all. It's like, yeah, you need to stop this and you need to like rest and go away for a while. Interesting. So Holmes does, you know, he and Watson go to a nice little country side in Cornwall and they're kind of there for a good while just resting you know he's not even smoking or doing anything like there's no mysteries that need to be solved it's a very quiet peaceful like nothing else happens in this area this is another example of Holmes and
0: watson taking a vacation together like they do in the final problem it's sort of cute to see them do that again or for the first time unclear like you said (laughs) I also wonder, because the last story, the story that I read, ends with this idea of Holmes being really bored when he doesn't have a case, mm-hmm. on ennui settling in around him. How
1: is he putting up with being on vacation and not having a case to solve? I'm not sure, but boy, when this case comes in, he jumps to it, let me tell you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so this little holiday and... All that ends when the local vicar, Mr. Roundhay, and his lodger, Mortimer Treganis, visit Holmes, and they got a little bit of a situation. Treganis is visiting his three siblings and played a wonderful card game with them, but left after that card game ended because he wanted to get home before it was too late. And the next morning, the housekeeper of his siblings had found that his sister was dead, with a very horrified look on her face. Still still on her face as she's dead. Mm-hmm. And his two brothers have gone insane. My God. Yeah.
0: What does God insane mean in Victorian
1: times? Do they describe with that? Uh, laughing maniacally, you know, not really acknowledging that their sister is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a lot of laughing maniacally and saying weird things and just like not being right in the head mm-hmm. so the brothers are taken away in a car and sherlock and watson go visit the, there's cars well in the sorry oh <laughs> i was like that's a bit of a time jump so they visit the body and they really don't find anything except that there is a fire going mm-hmm. and that's kind of all we all we know later in the house yeah there's a fire like a fire in a fireplace oh okay Mm -hmm. nothing else seems really out of the ordinary there's no like marks of her being stabbed or her being poisoned like there's really nothing there Mm -hmm. Uh, what did you die of we'll get to that oh okay (laughs) so holmes and watson they go back to the place that they're staying and holmes is back to his, his holmes self, you know, smoking up a storm, you know, deducing. Like I said, Holmes jumped to this case. Mm-hmm. He was uh, very, very pleased and actually uh, laughing and joyous when a case came in. Mm-hmm. So he definitely missed this. Back at his lodging, we get a visit from the cousin of the Trigenesis, Dr. Leon Sterndale. He aborted his sailing from Plymouth. In order to come see what happened, the vicar wired him with the tragic news. And he kind of talks to Holmes and is like, well, I mean, you're a famous detective. What are you, Do you have any suspicions? What are your suspicions? And Holmes is like, I got suspicions, but I ain't telling you. The classic Holmes. Yeah. And Leanne's like, oh, okay, cool. That's fine. I'm just wondering. <laughs> Who's this? The cousin of Striganis, the, the one brother of the three siblings that mm-hmm. were involved in this case. Who didn't go crazy. Who did not go crazy. Yeah. He's fine. It's because he's staying with the vicar. So you kind of suspect oh,
0: him. So he is the guy who showed up with the
1: vicar at the beginning of the Yes. Story. Yes. Okay. And then Leon is just the cousin who came when he heard the tragic news. Gotcha. And you kind of, at this point, I was kind of suspecting Mortimer, but... Plot twist, the next morning, the vicar informs Holmes that Mortimer's dead. Oh. And died the same way as his sister, and had a very horrified look on his face as well. Mm. Everybody that has been affected so far has had a very horrified, pained look on their face. Dead or crazy. Right. So that's fun. The two men and Watson, because Watson's just there at this point. Watson is not really present in this story. He's just kind of there. (laughs) Following Holmes around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They go to Mortimer's room, Mm -hmm. and they see that a lamp is lit and is smoking Mm -hmm. on the table. And that is when Holmes deduces that there is a poison Mm -hmm. in the lamp, and that is activated by fire. Mm -hmm. So somebody threw poison in the fireplace and caused the sister to die and for the other two brothers to go crazy. So that is why the, the the two have died and the other two have gone a little crazy in the brain. He also deduces this because I said that Watson is not really in this story that much. This is the really the big time that Watson is involved in the story. Holmes subjects him and Watson to the poison. What? Just to prove that this is the poison. That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean subjects him to? <laughs> they they find the poison and Holmes is like, let's test to make sure this is what it is. And then throws it in a fire with Watson and Holmes in the room. And then they start feeling very ill. <laughs> and Holmes, Holmes, Holmes should know better. <laughs> and Holmes is like, yep, this is it. Okay, we're good. <laughs> so we do get the reveal that Mortimer is the person who did the first death with the poison. But who killed Mortimer but their cousin, Dr. Leon. He held Mortimer at gunpoint and forced him to breathe the poison. And this poison comes from a plant called the Devil's Foot Roots. This is where the title comes from. Yes. And Mortimer only knew about this because of Leon describing the powder and then stole some from his collection of African curiosities and then threw it in the fire just before he left. So we have two bad guys in this. So the one left is Dr. Leon. Yes, Dr. Leon is still left, Uh, and the reason that he killed Mortimer, or even knew that it was Mortimer, one, because it was the poison, and also he was in love with Mortimer's sister, Brenda, and so this was an act of revenge.
0: Wow, I feel like I need a family tree to understand all these relationships, but that's a lot. So, is he brought to justice?
1: No, Holmes sympathizes with the doctor. Mm -hmm. He's like, I get it, man. But you need to go back to your studies in Africa and never return. Just go. Okay, so a couple things there. <laughs> so,
0: is that the end of the story?
1: Yeah, that's basically the end of the story. And then Holmes and Watson go back to their little vacation. Holmes is a little more rejuvenated.
0: Just to prove that doctor wrong, but what actually Holmes needed was a case, I guess. Right, and Watson's like, oh, brother. <laughs> this is an interesting example of Holmes deciding something is morally right, even when it is legally wrong. hmm But also I love that his solution is not like a flat-out endorsement of what Dr. Leon did, but kind of a compromise. Yeah, He's like, I'm going to inflict you on the peoples of Africa instead of letting (laughs) you potentially hurt other English civilians. Uh, Unclear whether or not we're meant to understand that as a punishment for him, that he has to go back to Africa, it being the Victorian era. I'm not
1: sure how Arthur Conan Doyle feels about Africa. I don't know. I think it's just kind of a go back and go away, never come back thing. Right. And he just says Africa because that's, like, the place that he's studied the most. Yeah. Interesting. It doesn't sound like a really dramatically satisfying story. It really isn't. Yeah. (laughs) I I can't lie to you. I I think this is definitely one that Arthur Baby really phoned in a little bit. Yeah, I had more fun reading the first half with, like, talking about their vacation Mm -hmm. than I did the second half. Yeah. Any, like the beginning of the mystery is pretty cool. Like, oh, these people have gone crazy and have died because of this, like poison in the fire. That's pretty cool. And yeah. then we get to this ending, and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, just sort of a lot of people
0: died or went crazy,
1: and there's no real like, like I guess
0: Mortimer is the the perpetrator of, yes. of the original crime. Yes. Like I guess Mortimer also died, but it just seems like. A lot of people died for no reason. Why did he kill his family?
1: Truthfully, we don't get a good answer. Yeah. Like, we just don't get an answer at all. Uh Uh-huh. Why Mortimer did it. I'm going to guess, because he's not living with his family, and he's living with the vicar, that there's some, like, tension there. Mm Mm-hmm. So, family tension. Wild. Family drama. But yeah, I, I really, I wouldn't say this was a hard one to get through, but it could have been, like, a couple pages shorter. Yeah. And we really didn't need like two bad guys in this. Hmm. I would have said the vicar did it the entire time, just for oh big twist. Yeah, big twist. I was like expecting something like that. Hmm. I felt it was too. I thought it was too obvious if like the doctor did the whole thing, or if Mortimer did it, and then they both did it. So it was like oh, okay.
0: Yeah, we're continuing to see in both of the stories today obvious villain mm-hmm. emerge. Yours uh, has. Both the trope of, it's the person you think it is all along, and also it's the person who brought the case yeah. homes happening. Mine, it's, like, the guy with the acid-scarred face. <laughs> and the earring. Yeah. Hey, who, like, is also the person who starts the whole story. Like, he brings the Redhead League advertisement down to to Jabez, and he's like, hey, look at this, I wish I was a redhead. And we're like, okay, so... So it's you. So I wonder if we'll see any that are a real real surprise, a real turn about who the villain is.
1: Well, I'm curious, because yours wasn't as late. Like, yours was still in the 1800s, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine's a pretty early story. Huh, that's interesting. Because I kind of feel like by the point where he wrote the story that I read, maybe he was kind of getting sick of it, which is why it might not be as satisfying. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, people said that Arthur Conan got
0: lazy because he didn't like writing them, so maybe that's what happened with Devil's
1: Foot. I mean, there was there was something there. Like the first half of it, I was like, oh, this is fun, and then I, I feel like he didn't know how to end this one. In a way, that would have been satisfying. So he was like they both did it. Everyone did it.
0: Well, the good news is that next episode we're having on a guest who is a big fan of Devil Smith. So I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what what the defense of it is.
1: Yeah, I'm very, I'm very, very
0: curious. So we've done a little season reshuffling for the next couple episodes mm-hmm. because the actor strike is still ongoing. In Hollywood, we are uh, rearranging our season so that we are not covering struck work. Yes. So while we were originally going to go chronologically through the Sherlock Holmes canon, uh, we're going to jump around a little bit so that we can deal with adaptations that are either not produced by screen actors hmm. or are not produced in America. Which means there are some interesting things coming up. And there are some that, that, We probably wouldn't have talked about that. I think we're going to get a chance to talk about now, which is very exciting.
1: Right. But don't you worry. Once the actor strike has ended, we will go back to our regularly scheduled program. So next week, we'll be looking
0: at the Granada TV show, which is produced in England. Granada. starring, (laughs) Starring Jeremy Brett as Holmes with a special guest. Yes. But until then, we've been your Baker Street regulars. And we'll see you next time we